everybody. I'm Amy Barron, and this is Upskilled Solutions in the Learning Universe, where I talk with professionals in education and workforce development about practices and perspectives that catalyze positive change. Okay, we're here today to talk about COVID learning loss and how adaptive technology can help. And my guest today is Linnell Morgenthaler, Linnell is Vice President of Learning Design at online learning provider Edmentum. And in her role, Linnell helps translate educational research into effective product design. Linnell is passionate about helping educators embrace innovative instructional practices that improve student outcomes. And welcome, Linnell. Thanks for having me, Amy. I'm excited to be here today. It's great to have you here. So, Linnell, those of us in the education world have often talked about the summer slide, which is essentially the learning loss that takes place over the summer when students are not in school. And many experts with COVID now are predicting that students are going to enter the school year this year even further behind than usual. Um, In fact, uh, a study I recently read projected that students would be returning to school this fall having made only two-thirds of their typical school year gains in reading and less than half of their typical school year gains in math. Um, You recently published a white paper entitled Reopening School After COVID Learning Loss. And one of the ideas you put forward that I found very interesting is this idea of a dual approach to accelerate learning. Can you describe this? Absolutely. So the dual approach to accelerating learning is called the universal double-dose learning. Um, Double-dosing is actually a concept that's often associated with intervention and specifically the multi-tiered system of supports or MTSS model. And in that model, um, there's often shown an upside-down triangle with three different tiers, Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3. And Tier 1 really means something that all learners would get with some level of differentiation, but it is basically for all. And the Tier 2, Tier 3 is more um, specific, targeted learning for students who have specific needs. Well, if you look at this, where we are with COVID learning loss and how much... um, Uh, loss there is predicted to be, and we're now in the midst of experiencing, Uh, you can take a look and understand that you need to begin Tier 1, that is instruction for everybody, moving strongly forward on current grade-level learning. So a consolidating approach to essentials or power standards, but really making sure that kids begin fourth grade learning with fourth grade concepts. It's not like we're going to just teach what they missed and then eventually to get to fourth grade, we need to start on fourth grade and take it from there. At the same time, we need to deal with COVID learning loss. As you know, each grade begins on what was learned before. So it's not like we can just forget about the concepts that were not mastered. So we also need to diagnose and differentiate to support any learning gaps that may have occurred during COVID shutdown and were exacerbated by the summer, not to mention exacerbated by um, some of the trauma associated with loss of friendship, loss of interaction, loss of being in school, all of those things. So in the 
second dose of the double dose learning plan that would be for everybody, we would recommend taking a diagnostic assessment that identifies exactly what each student needs to learn of previous learning and taking it from there. So doing the on-level and the scoop up at the same time. That's the nature of the double dose learning plan. So essentially they're learning the content they're supposed to be learning for the grade they're in, as well as picking up some of the content from last year. Is that the idea? Exactly, and using mastery learning um, to do so. What that means is you're going to take a diagnostic assessment and identify exactly what you need and don't learn anything that you already know. That's just a waste of time. So let's just talk for a minute about these diagnostic assessments. Maybe you can explain a little bit what those should look like. Sure. Um, ideally, the diagnostic would be both diagnostic and adaptive. I'll kind of deal with one concept at a time. Diagnostic assessments have been around for a long time, and it basically means assessing a body of knowledge in some way to determine what you know and what you don't know. Now, these days when you say diagnostic assessment because of the introduction of technology, you typically think of a diagnostic as something that also does adapt. That means it, there are some fancy psychometric algorithms that run the assessment and based on not only um, right or wrong answers, but often also based on answer choices, meaning what misconception did your answer choice reflect. It will take you up and down and it may accelerate how much it takes you up and down. Again, it's not a simple algorithm that's easy to understand. It's psychometrically complex these days. So when we think about uh, adaptive assessments, we also need to think about machine learning and how an assessment um, in the world of technology can now predict um, you know, based on a fourth grade question, whether you need first or second grade learning. And again, it's, it is a mathematical model that's proven statistically that runs these adaptive diagnostic assessments. Yeah. And so with the results, the, the teacher can then determine uh, where each individual student is basically starting out the year, where they're at vis-a-vis -vis the learning loss from last year. Correct, and in fact, um, in a diagnostic uh, learning path product, the, the machine does it for you. And the teacher uh, supplements, monitors, um, and intervenes as necessary. So it will, not only will you get like, okay, I need to be placed in second grade, um, second half of the year, it'll be down to individual domains and it can be um, also be exactly what kinds of skills that you're going to skip in your learning path because you already know them. So these algorithms can be fairly uh, sophisticated actually. Uh-huh. And what are some of the pitfalls with these types of um, technology-based assessments? Are there are there things that teachers should look out for or, you know, be careful of when interpreting these types of results? Absolutely. You know, in the end of the day, there's nothing really uh, that replaces 
a teacher's understanding of a student. Um, technology and teachers and relationships with students are meant to all work hand in hand. So if you um, get the results of an assessment and they don't seem right to you, you may want to reassess. Um, you may want to override. I know that there can sometimes be concerns for um, kindergarten students. You know, is there really anything a kindergartner should be skipping? It's a good question. And there's often some questions that come back um, from teachers to, um, you know, companies like my company that uh, has adaptive systems. I think the other issue that is always interesting and is really um, quite poignant today is that parents are proctoring these at home with their kids. Mm -hmm. And as per the helicopter parent syn syndrome, what do you think might be happening, Amy? There might be some help going on, I would imagine. <laughs> there, might, there might be some help. Yes, in fact, we're in the middle of making a video, like why it's bad for your child for you to help them on their diagnostic adaptive assessment. <laughs> yes, The whole idea exactly. is we want to see where your child is, not where you are. Yeah. Yes, so if you want your child to be absolutely miserable, by all means intervene on their adaptive assessment so that they get second grade content when they should get, get, be getting first grade content and they are miserable, miserable, miserable. So that's right. not a great idea. Right. right, right. Um, and that's a great idea for teachers to use their judgment at that very moment. Yes. So speaking of sort of student involvement and where the student is at, the idea of kind of competency-based learning or, or personalized learning, a student being in charge of their own learning and progressing at their own pace. How uh, have you seen that working and, and what role does technology play in that? So we often talk about student control over pace and place. And I, I do need to emphasize it's really different depending on the grade level because um, it's easy to talk about a secondary student, you know, deciding to do their entire Algebra one course in two months instead of eight. Um, it's much harder to talk about, you know, first grader doing that. Um, so I, it is important that students be able to, you know, choose any room in their house, for instance. Or, you know, I, I'm hearing about families that are going to the mountains and in a cabin for a month right now because everybody's distance learning and they can, you know, learn during the day and then have a beautiful walk at around 4 o'clock or something like that. So that is control over place, um, if not pace. So we also do um, sometimes have a lot of needs to, I mean, actually there's quite a huge outcry as well. Um, for students to have sufficient instructional time with their teachers. So um, especially in elementary, so again, elementary and secondary are just really different. Um, right. But it is important for um, students to be able to have some choice, whether that's in you know, what they're reading or what they're making yep. when they do um, project-based learning, which is uh, something we have in one of our products quite prominently. Um, you know, so that they are able to express themselves in distance learning and digital learning in the same way they would in a classroom. And that actually reminds me of um, 
a solution that we worked on at Cantina, which is called the Money Experience. It's a financial literacy application that used a kind of choose your own adventure style experience um, that would allow the student to make their own financial decisions and see how those decisions impact the course of their life. And that's kind of an example of how, um, how you can create tools uh, using technology that can enhance engagement and make students feel like they have some control over their learning, which we know is more motivating, right? Absolutely, absolutely. That sounds like a really neat tool. I'm often uh, bemoaning the lack of consumer education in high school these days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it sounds like a good foundation. I've always been uh, a proponent of that. I think it's something that should be mandatory. Students really need to understand how uh, money is managed and, and understanding all the and loans expenses. And loans. how to write a check. All those exactly. very fundamental well, I don't know things. if they need to yeah. learn how to write a check anymore, but that's that's another I know. I still have to write a few, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, my, my kids have had to write checks and they're just lost. It's very, they, actually, they can't write um, addresses on an envelope. Yeah. Isn't yeah, that fascinating. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it is. I've I've observed that as well in my own life. But but we digress. Um, so other like other emerging technologies like augmented virtual reality are some of the other interesting emerging technologies that are in, enhancing engagement too. Is that anything that that you're? I, I understand that people aren't schools aren't necessarily going to be able to implement these solutions right away, but um, as time goes on, do you see those kinds of technologies being more prevalent to, to help that individualized kind of engagement? Well, I think that, um, I'm not sure which technologies exactly we have, um, I guess, dipped our toe in the water in augmented reality ourselves. Um, but I, I do think that any technology that consumers and particularly children are using outside the classroom will come into the classroom because we mm -hmm. need to advantage it to engage them. So the more that we see um, some really um, forward-looking <clears throat> technologies in students' everyday life, whether that's virtual or some kind of hybrid that we can't even imagine yet today. Um, I think it's. I think. I think we're going to see that in the classroom. And I do think that um, you know people talk often about um, augmented and virtual reality as a, a equalizer mm -hmm. because there are certain kinds of experiences that more affluent students are likely to have. Yeah. Um, but we can, you know, give access to a trip to the rainforest through these technologies. And so I do think there's something there and there's something that will be harnessed. I don't know exactly what that looks like. I do know that it's got to be something ultimately that's universally available. Right, right. And we know there are definitely challenges there in terms of uh, the cost and getting those into the hands of the people who, who are going to use them. Um, well, great. I mean, Linnell, it's, uh, we're just about at time. Um, I wanted to thank you. I think this has been really interesting and I hope people find 
uh, this information helpful as, uh, as you think about the new school year. Thank you again, Linnell, for being with us. Well, thank you. And again, it was fun to have a conversation about all of this. And thanks to all of you who've been listening. I hope this has been informative for you. This episode has been brought to you by Cantina, an innovation shop in Boston. We do strategy, design, and development of digital products and experiences, working across industries to help organizations innovate and grow. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Upskilled Solutions in the Learning Universe. Thank you.